What's up, you guys? I'm your host, Michael Swoboda, and this is the Average Alaskan Podcast, the show where we cover the good, the bad, and the ugly of Alaskan outdoors and life here in Alaska. Like always, I'm joined by the one, the only, Mr. Sean Love. Hey, what's up, guys? And we're back for another wonderful episode with you guys. We have an amazing guest on with us today on the other side of the line. Super excited for this interview. You guys will probably recognize him and his voice. But first, we have to have a quick word from our sponsors, me, myself, and Sean. We don't bother you guys with annoying ads, plugging something, and trying to sell, you know, the newest, latest, and greatest male grooming products or anything like that. So all we wish is that you share this with a friend, a family member, coworker, anybody that might be interested in learning a little bit about Alaska and the great outdoors or just want, you know, some mediocre entertainment to get your day going so uh we appreciate that leave us a review little three star four star five star review preferably on the latter end of that and if you have any future requests questions anything like that leave us a message at the email at average alaskan podcast at yahoo.com or over at our instagram at average underscore alaskan underscore podcast and we'll answer any of those for you guys but Enough of that. We've got an amazing guest. You guys might know him from their podcast, the Humpback Country Podcast, Mark Hilsing, an amazing individual in the outdoor community. They make amazing backpacks over at Exo Mountain Gear. I implore all of you guys to go check them out. They That's the one thing they do. They make amazing Amazing backpacks, and they're awesome people over there. Great podcast content, one of my personal favorites. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Mark Hilsing to the podcast. Oh man, good to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. We've been super excited to get you on. Uh, we had uh, old Jakey Pooh on the podcast uh, several weeks <laughs> back and uh, was a great ambassador of the EXO brand, but Unfortunately, due to some uh, lack of competency on my end, I managed to delete half of our podcast with him. And so we got to cover all the fun hunting adventures you guys had over in Kodiak, but got to miss out on most of his kind of explanation of your guys's company brand and just kind of what you guys do over there at EXO. So really, really excited to have you on and kind of touch on that a bit, let the people know uh, about y'all's amazing products and just kind of what you guys are doing over there in Idaho. So um, yeah, it was, go ahead. It was funny because Jake was saying like, man, they lost part of the podcast and I said these nice things about you and you're never going to hear them. (laughs) Whatever, you just made that up. Yeah, no, it was, oh, it killed me. It's the only issue we've had on any of the podcasts. And Jake, I mean, he did an absolutely amazing job. It was an awesome interview and he just, man, I left that. I was like, man, they really need to give him a little more airtime over there. Man, he's got some talent, (laughs) but uh, he's got to put that strong back of his to work, get get putting out some products. We had a... you know, you yeah. got orders to fill, and we actually just, uh, uh, I believe you were, uh, she was working with you over there, one of uh, Sean, his girlfriend, a co-host here, uh, she just ordered an XO pack from you guys, and it just got in the mail two, three days ago, I think. Yep. 
Oh, awesome. Yeah, she's she's real excited to get it going, and she was just stoked that, you know, you guys are real on top of it and, you know, go out of the way to make, you know, kind of a custom fit for women, and that's a real struggle with most uh, pack makers, and she's, I mean, she's just an absolute animal, and she likes to get after it, doing a lot of extreme stuff, and doing it with something that doesn't fit's a real real pain in the butt yeah. so she's beyond excited to give your guys's gear a good run through yeah i mean that like we put that together a couple of years ago uh specifically for women because we were seeing like more and more ladies show up to like hunt expo or a couple of different events that we go to and you know it's just females are different not only because a lot of times they're shorter but they'll have higher hips which means they'll have a shorter torso length so if you take a a five six female and a five six male often that five six female has a much shorter torso and so even our quote-unquote short frame was just too tall on a lot of women uh and that wasn't unique to us that's most pack companies um so we just truly wanted to make something pretty particular shortened up the frame changed the shoulder harness made it a little more narrower had a little bit more curve uh honestly to work with their chest and it's been great to see ladies putting it to use like one of the very first ones we sent out actually went up to Alaska and this, uh, this chick was packing out a giant moose with it. And it's always so fun to see that. Awesome. Yeah, no, hopefully we'll have to get you some pictures. Sean and Sam are gearing up to head out to Adak Island for a caribou hunt here in oh, two perfect. weeks. Yeah. If that. Yep. So we'll have to get you, get you some pictures sent over. Cause I mean, she, she put it on and even before adjusting it or anything, her first thing, she was like, yeah, this, this is going to be a game changer. She looked over <laughs> and was like, Look at the hip belt. Look at the hip belt. It's like on my hips. Like, that's the yeah. way it's supposed to fit. Yeah. That's cool. No. Yeah. We've even like, it's since we have had them, it shows like this past on expo last year. Um, it was kind of cool. Cause some of the other pack companies were even like, ladies would drop by and not know about our pack and some of the other pack companies knew about us and they'd literally be like yeah just go see the exo guys they have some that'll fit you much better than what we have uh-huh no and that's awesome to see just especially because you know anytime anytime you're in business people you know it's hard to push away business or you know turn away potential clients but when there's a product out there especially something that's you know the hunting industry everything's so personable and uh yeah. whenever you're you know if you're out on a five day, seven day, 14 day trip. And, you know, you're living out of your back. It's something, you know, it's, it's worth just to put people in the right direction and get them in the right gear. Cause if you don't, it's going to be miserable. And so that's good to see that, you know, that's kind of become a little niche for you guys. And the people are, people are seeing that. And I mean, shoot, it seems like the exo bags are slowly kind of taking over. I love uh, seeing just, you know, different, influencers or whatnot you know that's not the general community but uh just slowly always seeing that little exo logo on the straps of everybody's packs and it just uh finally seems like there's kind of a consensus to a lot of people at least giving them a a good run for their money and giving them a, a good workout so i love seeing that and yeah so but before we get uh any any further i'd like for you to kind of Give the let the listeners know exactly uh, kind of your role there at EXO, uh, the background of EXO as they picked up in the last couple minutes. You guys make pretty much custom backcountry backpacks, but uh, mm-hmm. just give a little like a thirty thousand foot view of what EXO is, kind of how it started, and then uh, where you guys are at right now with it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so EXO was started by two hunting buddies essentially um steve speck and lenny nelson 
were doing a bunch of mountain backcountry backpack style hunting. And, you know, you take back a handful of years before EXO and before some of the other pack companies. And it was like, you had great packs for backpacking and then you had good frames for load hauling, but the demands of those two things were very different. Um, you know, it's terrible to hunt in an external load hauler frame. Uh, but it was also terrible to try and pack something out with like a backpacking pack. Uh, and so they were just like, man, there's gotta be a better way. And like over the years, just knowing what they personally wanted in a pack, uh, literally didn't exist at that time. And so they didn't know anything about sewing, but were just willing to take the risk and try and make something for themselves and then see if it stuck in the market at all. So, uh, they quite literally, Lenny had a pink sewing machine in his garage and they would just build stuff um, and see what worked and then eventually realized like, yes, this is going to work and let's give this a go and make a small company out of it. And uh, so that was like 20, I mean, 2011, 2012, 2013. And then the first year we had product publicly was 2014. Um, I knew those guys a bit just from some connections and things like that. And my background is in kind of like IT and technology and so Steve uh, was like, hey, man, we're starting this pack company. We're going to need a website and different things like that. And so I essentially helped uh, from the beginning do that. And we launched in 2014. I was essentially just helping on the side uh, do some of the website. Um, I remember going to Steve and like, hey, there's this new thing called Instagram. You should probably do it for XO. And he's like, nah, man, what? that sounds stupid. I don't want to do Instagram like that's nobody's going to be on there. And I was like, I don't know, man, I think, I think it'd be worth doing it. And he's like, well, if you think we should do it, then you do it. So I was like, okay, fine. So (laughs) I uh, like, wasn't even an employee at that time of the company really. Um, But he was like, yeah, I did the website, social media. And eventually over the years, like I just kept doing more and more and more uh, with XO and made a leap to go full time uh, about five years ago, I think. So um, I never... I don't know. I've never had a job title, still don't have a job title. Don't know what that is, but we're so small, like there's seven full-time employees. Um, and that includes everybody from, you know, Steve and I to guys shipping out packs out of the warehouse. Um, so we just, yeah, I mean, being a small company, we a lot of different hats. Um, I do a lot of the marketing and communications and, uh, work with Steve on design and product and ideas and, um, support uh i mean yeah it's just kind of it's fun being part of a small company and having your your hands in so many different parts of the operation no that's super neat and i was actually right before we jumped on here i was talking to my girlfriend before she left for work and just kind of explaining y'all's company because i was talking to her because she needs a she's kind of at that spot she's got a nice backpacking backpack but it's now that she's diving deeper into the hunting aspect of things and she's packed a couple caribou out with her backpacking backpack and she's like yeah I need a, I need an actual backpack and was telling her, you know, that we'd probably get one of your guys' backpacks for her and was kind of explaining y'all's company and how, uh, cause growing up, we've always ran, uh, family businesses. Uh, we run two still up here in Alaska as a big game transport and fishing guide operation and then, a uh, much less fun, uh, just, you know, pay the bills business as well. But, uh, just, it seems like nowadays, especially in the hunting industry, there's, you know, 
a few small companies like yourself that are making quality content, but it just seems like it's a race to the top to, you know, every company has a clothing line, a backpack line, a tent line, a sleeping bag line. And it just seems like it's always been kind of a race to be, you know, a jack of all master of none kind of situation. But, you know, just through listening to your guys's podcast and the way kind of Steve's message and kind of ethos seems like that, you know, wants to be, exceptional at doing what y'all do and it's not a race to try and you know grab you know grab a bag of money in any direction that you know people kind of ask for and I know y'all have answered tons of questions of you know when's a when's the new when are you guys going to start making you know technical apparel or stuff like that and it always just seems like the questions like or the answers you know we're we're still still working on making the best backpack possible and until you know until that uh magic uh magic designs finally finished you know that's going to be the uh seems like that's the process for now for you guys is that correct yeah, I mean it's 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 one thing to have like a something that you're just truly passionate about versus something of, of like hey, this could be profitable, right? Like those are yeah. two separate things. And if you can combine them great, like obviously we're still running a business, we have to be profitable. Uh we have to feed our families and keep the lights on, but we're also not just chasing like I mean for years it really started with, Hey, you guys need to make a bino harness. You need to make a bino harness. Like we've been hearing that for years. And it's like, yeah, I'm sure we could. And I'm sure we probably sell a pile of them. Right. Especially if we would have done it when people started asking for it five years ago, there's obviously more and more out there. But um, for us, it's like, what are we passionate about and what do we feel like we could bring value to the market? in? so if there's already, you know, five good bino harnesses out there, do we really need to add to that? Um, Maybe like if we have something unique or special to bring um, from a true product perspective, then maybe we'll get into that. Uh, but if it's just a matter of like, yeah, we could make one and sell one, yeah, you know, whatever. So we're we're s- super focused on pack systems. Um, we've dabbled with ideas of other things, and I don't know, maybe in the future you'll see something else. But we have zero ambition to become like a hunting equipment supplier, meaning like. We don't want to get into shelter and clothing and this and that and whatever. Like we want to stay small. We want to focus on what we want to focus on and hopefully do that in a way that's sustainable for a business. I mean, it's, we've just always said, take care of the product and take care of the people. And that like, sounds like a cute little slogan, but in all reality, we don't want to grow to the point where we're not working with our customers directly. And that's one thing is like some other companies, we don't have dealers and retailers, but we also don't want to get to the point where it's like, oh, we need to hire a bunch of people to answer the phones and maybe they're not hunters or maybe they don't have a bunch of experience with the product or have intimate uh, background with using the product or even what went into the design of the product. Um, so, yeah, we just like being small, man. Um, we just really, really like it. Yeah, no, that's awesome because there is a very fine line between, you know, kind of o- overgrowing your own, you know possibility or possibilities goodness gracious it's early here it's struggling (laughs) but uh exactly you get to that point where like you said you're just you have to bring in a lot more individuals into the mix and then it's you know then you've got a whole different pandora's box of issues whether it's like you said you know not necessarily being able to hire some people that are spending as much time in the backcountry or as familiar with the gear or just you know dealing with a payroll of 
30 employees, all of a sudden, you know, that weekend trip you wanted to sneak out for, now you're dealing with HR stuff instead. <laughs> Nobody wants well, that. <laughs> we, we juggle schedules pretty early. Guys start fighting over weeks of September pretty yeah. early around the office, for yeah. sure. I can only imagine, you know. I yeah. made the dumb uh, life choice to just uh, spend my life uh you know, working all fall, you know, in the getting to take clients out hunting, fishing. And like this, this fall, I'll be doing my first season of packing for a sheep outfit. So I'll get to be in the sheep mountains all fall. But, uh, I've nice. gotten to do, uh, probably the least amount of hunting, uh, for somebody being quote in the, in the hunting industry. Yeah, so Michael moose hunting this fall and you're like, I'm not going to be here this fall yeah. or every yeah. fall. Exactly. So I can only imagine, you know, that y'all have to, you know, it's a it's crabs in a bucket. Everybody trying to pull each other to the bottom, trying to get that, uh, you know, rut weekend going. But for sure, man, yeah. And even like preseason, it's you know, it's our busiest time of year. We're trying to help all of our customers get set up with gear, and um, it's just super busy from that volume, which is obviously great. But it's also like it's so hard now to have to find time to do our own prep, like. I had to wake up super early this morning and run to the range and test some loads and shoot the rifle for like a half an hour and then like boogie back to take care of a bunch of work. So it's just like, it's a juggle even in the preseason to squeeze in our own prep. Oh, I bet. And um, I wanted to touch on a little bit because EXO is based out of Idaho and you guys are an American made product. So always huge support and shout out to that. But you're actually located over on not the East Coast, but you're kind of mid yeah yeah midwest yeah yes. in missouri missouri okay i always want to say kansas but i know that's wrong but i could oh. never figure it out <laughs> Beats Oklahoma, but, man. <laughs> yeah, no yeah it does beat oklahoma <laughs> <laughs> um what's that like working remote and trying to you know be as hands-on involved with the company but also obviously be kind of uh, across the country you know got yeah. the rocky mountains separating you guys so what's that like with the business yeah, I'm born and raised in Missouri. Um, and then, you know, when, it, when things got to the point where I was going to go full time with EXO, like that's something that Steve and I chatted about of is, is it going to work for me to stay remote and work full time? And honestly, like anything else, there's pros and cons to it. There's actually a lot of pros to it. Um, simply because of not being around the office in a way, there's less distractions. And maybe some people like their personality is that they, they need that or, uh, they need the accountability of like being in office, but for whatever reason, I'm just self-motivated and get a lot done when I'm by <laughs> myself, uh, almost with fewer distractions. But yeah, I mean, I get out there usually at least a handful of times a year, and that's usually partially for hunting and partially for working. Um, and in some ways, like Steve and I get, because our time together in person sometimes is limited, it's actually uh, much more productive because it's much more focused. So there's times where I'm out there, but we're not just in the office. We're actually getting out away from the office and distractions and like put our heads down and have like a solid eight hours of brainstorming and things like that. So it works well, man. Like we could be out hunting elk and still kind of working and planning and talking about stuff. Um, I was just out there for two weeks, brought my whole family out. So it was like half vacation, half working and was out there uh, a month before that, the bear hunt. So um, yeah, I just, get out there quite a bit uh, as needed or as wanted for hunting. And then, um, you know, working from home remotely, it's like I usually talk to Steve on the phone probably on the average day like four times. And then uh, Jakey 
uh, I usually, it's funny because like the generation phone call, he, he's a FaceTime kid. So <laughs> usually FaceTime like usually four or five times a day. So I'd stay super in touch with all those guys, Pat, Jack, all of them uh, at the office, even though I'm not physically there every day. No, that's that's awesome. It sounds like a great, you know, work life balance. And plus, I mean, what better excuse to get into the mountains? Oh, it's just a, it's just a business trip, honey. Like I just gotta, <laughs> I I gotta sneak yeah. away for like, ten days. <laughs> my my wife, when people are like, is, is is your husband is Mark on another work trip? She's like, I don't know. Do you want to call it that? Like, he's, he's bear hunting, but he said it was working. I don't know. We're, we're testing prototypes. <laughs> we were. I mean, we were. It was legitimate. We had conversations. I mean, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. No, that's, that's amazing. And you guys, I mean, it just seems like, you know, the way you guys keep your whole crew there at EXO kind of taken care of, y'all are all testing products all the time. I mean, you guys were just up here in Alaska doing your annual death hike, which is uh, one, just an awesome idea for anybody trying to stay in shape for the backcountry. And two, an amazing kind of work exercise where, you know, kind of quote unquote, you know, team bonding type stuff, as well as, you know, testing yourself mentally and physically and uh, kind of touch on that a little bit, just y'all's annual death hike. That's something super uh, neat concept that y'all have been doing for several years now. And then uh, uh, just touch on kind of how the Alaska trip went for you guys. Yeah, we've been uh, doing the death hike every year for, I think there's been seven maybe now i missed the first one maybe the first two i don't remember but um yeah i think i've done five and there's been six or seven total um but yeah it was again in the early days of exo steven when you were just like i wonder how many miles we could cover like let's just go find out and let's grab some buddies and do it and it wasn't meant to be you know kind of it has the death hike now has a mystique about it because we've talked about it on the podcast and people hear about the stories and the years since, but it was really just started as a group of buddies going, let's go, let's go into the Frank church. Let's go into the wilderness and like crush ourselves and see how many miles we can get. Um, so it's never meant to be an event, but it kind of became one. So we try and do something different every year. Um, that first one in the Frank, we were a uh, different part of Idaho the second year, which was my first one. We, uh, <laughs> That year, the total distance was 40-something miles, and there was a few of us that did it straight through. It was supposed to be like a, a two-day, you know, one night in the backcountry thing. And we got to the camp spot at night, and a few of us were feeling a little froggy and like, ah, we're just going to finish this. So we did it straight through, and then that made Steve mad. He's like, it's not hard enough. Um, so then after Unleash that, the we beast. Did, Yeah, then after that, he's like, we're doing 100 miles. So we did a 100-miler. um, and then after, you know, you do a hundred miles, it's like, where do you go from that? You can do 150, right? Like we have limits on how many days essentially guys can take time away for. So one of the ones we did after that, we combined uh, like a hike with a bear hunt. So, um, and then we had like these envelopes and surprises. I'll put it that way along the way that <laughs> Steve and I made. So it was like teams of three guys. We made every team set alarms um, for like, we started, I think, at 10, either 10 p.m. or midnight, but we made everybody set alarms on their phones of like, okay, midnight, 2 a.m., 5 a.m., et cetera, et cetera. And then they had an envelope with that matched that time. So um, like at midnight, you open this envelope and it says, you're an idiot. You left your headlamp at the truck. You got to hike the next mile without a headlamp. <laughs> um, and so 
the guys did that. There was one, I think that went off at two or 3 AM um, that basically said you have to um, inflate your sleeping pad, get in your sleeping bag and lay down for 45 minutes. So that it was like playing on, Hey, it's 3 AM. You've already been hiking for a few hours. You're going to be tired. Now we're going to force you to like lay down, but only for 45 minutes. So are you going to sleep? Are you not going to sleep? How's that going to mess with you? Um, I think one of the, at like five or 6 AM, it was find the nearest water source and completely submerge yourself. And it was cold temps at the time. So we just had like kind of these surprises along the way. That's awesome. Um, and then that one, if, if you didn't kill a bear by a certain time, you had to pack out, um, and carry, I think it was 90 pounds among the group. Uh, maybe it was even higher than that. So you literally just had to like find rocks and everything. We <laughs> gave every team a scale and they had to add all this weight to their pack. We would have been um, carrying a lot of rocks this season. A lot of rocks. <laughs> yeah. And like, so that was one thing I left out on the whole bear hunting aspect. You couldn't start hunting bears till you covered at least 20 miles. So you had to hike 20 miles, then start bear hunting. And then if you didn't kill a bear by a certain time, you're at least 20 miles deep. And now you had to hike a bunch of rocks out. You're a terrible hunter. Um, so that was like an example of one last year. Uh, not this year, but the year before we flew into the Frank Church Wilderness, got dropped off uh, these remote airstrips. And so the only way out is to hike out. And we did it in, I think, April. Um, but anyway, a, a good portion of that was like snowshoeing. So just to mix up again, like more than just covering miles, like let's snowshoe. You know, obviously a lot of that was off trail. Uh, and then, yeah, this year we went up to Alaska. So we went up into the Chugach Mountains, um, had a route that Steve put together. And kind of worked with a couple guys we know up there to look at the route. Uh, again, mostly off trail. And we knew at some point that depending on the conditions, the route may or may not work. Um, and we fully anticipated having to make some adaptations on the ground um, if we ran into issues completing the route. As it turns out, we had to do that like six miles in. So <laughs> we... We climbed 4,000 feet in two and a half miles only to get up and then realize there was an impassable um, snow cornice and then hiked back down 4,000 feet. So that was fun. Yeah, you broke some um, souls with that one. I'm yeah, sure there were totally, some people yeah. in the group that weren't too uh, you know, gung-ho about that idea. <laughs> oh, dude. It, what was funny about that is like, you know, we had, tw- I think, 21 or 22 guys this year and you kind of naturally spread out a little bit, especially over a 4,000 plus foot climb. But the guys who were in front, you know, we made the decision like, okay, this is maybe passable, but isn't smart, Um, especially with 20 plus guys like it was not going to be safe. And so it was funny. We we got up there, made that decision, knew we were going to have to descend, but there was still kind of the the guys lagging behind who were still climbing. And uh, we're like, wow, we could we could like signal to him to turn around you know so they don't climb all the way up here but we climbed all the way up here so they probably should too so we literally <laughs> waited until you know guys got up there and was like oh oh by the way you got to turn around um so anyway that was that was just the first honestly handful of hours um we put on a bunch of miles and obviously changed the route and got we got alaska um the country <laughs> was so big and yeah just once we had to come down off that ridge, we had to get into some bottoms and obviously got super brushy and nasty and thick and meant that we had to 
make more big climbs to get out and uh being up there at that time of year i've never been up there in the summer or in the fall for hunting and just the light like going to bed at 11 30 p.m and it's daylight and waking up at 3 a.m and it's daylight it was it was a cool experience man no that's awesome and um what is something like what's kind of a takeaway for because there's a lot of kind of I'd say like romanticism around Alaska and hunting and uh, you've gotten to come up and do a couple hunts been now in the Chugach you've done Kodiak a couple times and what's something that you would say that most people kind of misunderstand about Alaska or just should expect if they're coming on like a first time trip up to Alaska? Yeah, so I've obviously did the Chugach I just mentioned. Uh, I've done Kodiak twice, and I've been up in the Brooks Range as well. So um, some limited experience, but have obviously been in different parts of Alaska. And that's what that, that's one thing that's funny is like people in the lower 48 since like, oh, you've been to Alaska? Like, what part? Right? Like, it's so big and so vast, and um, depending on where you've been, you've experienced one thing, but you haven't experienced a completely different type of country and terrain and part of Alaska. So the variety of it for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, just really understanding how big it is, um, even in a quote unquote small area. I mean, my very first trip was caribou and up in the brooks and we flew out of cots and did the whole drop camp thing. And um you know, we were hoping that we'd catch the migration and didn't. Um, and so like the bull I ended up killing was seven miles from camp. And it was a, it was a drastically different seven miles than Colorado or Idaho, right? Tussock like fields. Dealing with, yeah, like dealing with the tundra and, oh man, like it was just, it was just crazy. So just how big it is. I mean, same with Kodiak, like some of the climbs that we've done, especially early on, it's like, you know, we're so used to moving at a certain speed, like working hard, but covering ground pretty efficient. And it doesn't matter sometimes how hard you're working. Like you just can't cover ground too quick in Alaska. Um, you know, just thinking like, again, that very first trip to Kodiak, it's like, there was this one morning. I just remember it's like, we've been hiking for, I think two hours and had gone a mile and a half. Yep. It's like, that is so foreign to us. Um, it was the same thing on the death hike. Like we averaged a mile an hour, which you talk to Alaska guys and they're like, yeah, that's pretty normal. But a lot of times, you know, we can do three miles an hour, um, even in some pretty big country in Idaho, but yeah, it's just the, the amount of country and then your ability to cover country, uh, is just really, really easy to underestimate. I actually had lunch with a guy, um, who's from my area, who's going up to Kodiak for a deer hunt. And so he's like, Hey man, could we go to lunch? And like, you show me some of the stuff from Kodiak. We talk about gear, whatever, whatever. It's like, yeah, of course. So we do that. And, you know, we're chatting about gear and whatnot. And he's like, let me show you Onyx and show you some of the stuff <laughs> I was looking at. And it's so like, he pulls up Onyx and, you know, from their starting point, he has like this route plan that he thinks they're going to cover on the first day. And I literally just laughed at him. <laughs> yeah. I was like, dude, you need to like cut that in like, fists. You can do one eighth of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you, ha- you can do that route if that's all you want to do the whole week, but you're not doing that the first day. Nor do you have to. <laughs> yeah. You have to kill a deer. Um, but yeah, it's just really easy to underestimate how big the country is, and then how tough it can be to cover ground, even if you're super fit. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's something we try and 
constantly harp on because we get you know most of our listeners are uh, from down south and uh we had an episode back probably 10 15 episodes ago now but uh titled the truth about kodiak and because that's what uh my family does we big game transport over on kodiak for bear and deer in the falls and um we kind of every every you know kind of youtube person hunting personality had put out a video on kodiak in about a three-week span and we kind of went through watched them all and uh kind of picked them apart and just kind of talked about what people kind of did wrong, did right, and kind of the expectations they had going into it and kind of explaining because we've both, you know, hunted Kodiak. Uh, my family has. I was I was born on Kodiak. My family's been there for forever. And uh, just kind of what you need to expect going into it because it's the, you know, I always tell people the best way to kind of train for it is just go find a sand pit, put a resistance band around your ankle and the toe of your foot and just sit there and <laughs> trudge and, you know, and have somebody yeah. spray in the face with a, you know, a cat sprayer or something because <laughs> yeah, you know, there's no good way to kind of handle it. But uh, you guys had y'all's video with a born and raised group and honestly out of all the ones I've, you know, watched and seen, y'all put a kind of a, you know, great video together is definitely, uh, you know, good content, exciting, but gave a true look at it. You know, we get so many clients that come and they're, you know, prior to kind of the craze of hunting YouTube and kind of the push to a lot of kind of destination hunts like Kodiak there wasn't a lot of content on it there's a few videos up mm -hmm. down like on the south end and they're like man it's wide open it looks like you know the prairies of the midwest and stuff and yeah. you know we take them because we we transport close there to uh Larson Bay where you guys were hunting out of foxtail there and yep. it's uh you know, you know, you know what it looks like. It doesn't look like the Midwest. No. Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I had seen some of those videos before my trip to Kodiak. So I'd seen that Southern end, the open country kind of I was like, dude, it's like a prairie, like no big deal. And then started hunting out of Larson Bay. And I was like, this was a bait and switch. Man. This, is not, this is not what I was expecting. Uh, yeah, dude. And that's that. I mean, going back to what I said earlier, that was like one of those mornings we just like, it took us two hours to hike a mile and a half. Like I was expecting prairie. What the heck? <laughs> right. Yo, no, that's, that's a cool trip though. Especially just, it's a target rich environment and it's, it's, you know, it's poor man sheep hunt. And if you want to get up in those Alpine bowls and stuff, you're going to work for it. And it's a, yeah, it's, it's a cool experience. I, you know, I always tell people if you're looking for something unique that that's not going to break the bank and, you know, get you up to Alaska, Kodiak's an awesome option for that. But. Absolutely, man. Yeah. I, I love it up there. We'll definitely be going back uh, next year. I'm already looking forward to it. No, that's, that's awesome. It's definitely a good one to kind of either end the season with or start the season with depending on what time of the year you go up there and it's a you know a cool cool system get a you know good accommodations good food you know a warm place to sleep but still get to go out in some just true gnarly you know untouched wilderness so mm -hmm. it's the only week-long hunt i've ever done and came back fatter <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? I'm like busting my butt in the mountains and losing weight. And I go to Kodiak, I'm still busting my butt, but just gaining weight. Exactly. You actually get to eat good. <laughs> Belt slowly getting tighter and tighter over the week for the first time. <laughs> mm -hmm. oh. Well, I wanted to get into, you've got a super exciting trip coming up, uh, if I'm not mistaken. You're heading out, uh, coming up here and doing yep. a mountain goat hunt. Uh, what time of the year uh, are you doing that? And just uh, kind of what's your prep been looking like for that? 
Yeah, it's um, I'm coming up the 20, I think the 26th of September, um, right in there and essentially hunting the last few days of September and then into uh, the first week of October um, in Southeast Alaska. Dude, I, it, it's one of those things that to me still doesn't feel real. Like <laughs> it felt real a little bit uh, when I signed a contract because obviously being non-resident, I have to go guided. And then, you know, it's just been doing prep and looking at gear and I've always had an interest in mountain goats, but that only accelerated, uh, when I knew like, okay, I'm going to get to hunt them now. So I guess the backstory is a few years ago, I was like, I am going to hunt mountain goats for my 40th birthday. Like I set that goal several years out to give me some time to figure out where I wanted to do it, how I wanted to do it, uh, to save towards it, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, anyway, I, I have an opportunity to go this year, um, 38. So a couple of years ahead of schedule, which I'm not mad about. Um, and yeah, dude, it just, it's seriously, I've been thinking about it for years and obviously planning all of this year and it still just doesn't quite feel real, but it's only, uh, only about two months out now at this point. So prep wise, man, obviously the death hike was great. Um, I've, like I said, been to Alaska, had a touch of it and tree gotcha is different than where we'll be, but still just like that idea of going from the ocean to gaining 4,000 feet is definitely very relevant uh, to where, to where we will be hunting. Um, my prior experiences in Alaska and some of this death hike in the tree gotcha, like understanding that brush and getting through the thick stuff. Cause that's clearly going to be a part of it. Um, and I think a lot of that too, is just, you know, mental. Um, that's one thing I noticed on that trip my first trip to Kodiak is you get in like those super thick alders and devil's club and it's you can't move well and you're slowed down and then you're getting poked with stuff and slapped in the face and <laughs> honestly a big part of that is like at least in my head I just get frustrated like this is stupid I don't want to get hit in the face you know like I'm tired of slipping why is it so steep etc cetera, etc cetera. but you go through that and you just kind of realize like it is what it is and then for, at least for me anyway, my mindset just about it changed. Like I was just able to embrace it for what it was and it's just part of the experience. So I think prior experiences like that are going to uh, hopefully help versus guys who maybe go into a hunt like this for the very first time and just get literally and figuratively slapped in the face by it. <laughs> um, so yeah, dude, I'm just, I'm so excited, fascinated by goats. Um, no, that's super you know, cool because that's kind of, yeah. I always say, you know, goat and black bear are kind of the redheaded stepchild of Alaska. I feel like they just don't quite get the uh, recognition as they, you know, should go to a little more so than black bear just because you can find a black bear in just about every state yep. in the United States. But, you know, mountain goats up here, everybody wants to go get a big full curl, you know, doll sheep or a 65 inch moose. Uh, but man, there are mountain goat opportunities up here, you know, for non-resident, uh, like you mentioned, you have to go guided, but there's mm -hmm. opportunities in Kodiak Southeast here on the Kenai Peninsula, uh, up in, uh, parts of the Alaska range. Like there's just tons of goat opportunity and it's, you know, a very similar hunt, to, you know, like adult, your same terrain as like a doll sheep hunt. You're getting a very similar experience, if not a more kind of extreme setting you know they really like the nasty craggy you know rock mm -hmm. outcrops and but it puts you in some of the most beautiful country alaska has to offer and just kind of having that like mindset that you do and having prior experience up here i think is gonna you know 
play in your favor huge just because like you said so much of it especially like places like Kodiak or southeast Alaska where it's you know you're going from rainforest into you know what looks like the south end of New Zealand where you're just going into nasty craggy uh, rock shoots and uh, just knowing that it's not going to be comfortable and there's going to be times that you want to, you know, snap your trekking poles over your knee and just, you know, <laughs> scream at the, scream at the heavens. But, uh, just understanding that that's kind of, that, that that's part of it. And, you know, embracing that type two fun and, you know, getting comfortable being uncomfortable because up here you're going to be wet. You're going to grab yeah. a fistful of devil's club. You're going to get tripped <laughs> by an alder branch. Like there's just yep. no, no getting around it. And I feel like that's something, you know, it's famous for, you know, sheep hunts. People spend, you know, save their whole life, come up to do a trip of a lifetime. And then they, you know, just ruin it in the first couple of days by, you know, kind of having a poor mindset in my opinion and just expecting something, not getting exactly what they expected and then hitting that wall of either you know physical exertion or that mental frustration and then you know guys will come out on day three of a 10 or 14 day trip that they've you know kind of dreamed of their whole life and they'll be back on the couch before you know day five of their trip was even up and you know being able to take things for what they truly are and you know being able to you know part of why it's such a neat experience is because it's not easy. You know, life's not supposed to be super comfortable. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I was like talking with my guide, Mark Roanhorst. Um, you know, I was asking him some questions early on about like average harvest and stuff like that. And for me, it's, of course you want to shoot like a big goat if you can, but for me, it's a hundred percent about like the experience in the country and I'm not set on, you know, a certain trophy per se. Uh, but he was like, well, He's like, there's potential to shoot bigger goats, but what happens is the average harvest is lower because most clients after doing like a climb, just shoot the first thing they can because <laughs> they want it to be over with. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I, yeah, I could see how that happens. Like, you know, guys just, you know, whether it's day one, day two, day three, but yeah, you've come up through the rainforest jungle, done all the alders you talked about, like climbed several thousand feet, exhausted. It's all new to you. You're getting your butt kicked and it's like, yeah, we'll just shoot that goat. Like, <laughs> that looks awesome. <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, I I definitely I don't have that mindset going into it. I mean, I, I would be, I would be somewhat bummed to shoot a goat in the first few days. I have an asterisk to this, which I'll tell you about in a minute. But <laughs> I mean, I don't want the hunt to be over with, right? Again, I'm doing it for the experience and to be in the country as much as possible. What is cool is that uh, a friend of mine is is guiding this year. And so he he has the opportunity to become the second hunter. So essentially he's the assistant guide for my hunt, but oh, that'll be awesome. Mark, myself, and then my buddy Tyler. And so the way the hunt's set up is I tag out. If we still have time to hunt, Tyler's going to get to hunt. So now it's like, okay, get a slammer billy in the first few days. Like I'm fine with that because yes, we have six more days to hunt, but now we just get to keep hunting for Tyler. So the, the potential of if I fill a tag early, which obviously isn't guaranteed, but if I do like still knowing it's like, all right, we still got time. We can keep hunting, keep climbing, get some more country. Uh, I'm really excited about that opportunity. No, that sounds like an amazing, amazing trip. And, you know, super envious. I mean, we're real lucky and we get the opportunity to, you know, chase them multiple times and, you know, aren't restricted by the guide 
guiding situation, but man, it's just anytime you're in cool country like that, it's, you know, talking about it just gets the, gets the heart rate up. I, I love it, especially sure. gearing up. Uh, what type of equipment are you taking out, uh, for the fall? I've been in the process of getting all my gear lined up and, uh, straightened up. I fly out here in five days to head out to sheep camp to, get ready for the season so that's been in the you know forefront of my mind uh what type of like shelter cook system just kind of you don't have to dig in super deep but just kind of a brief overview of everything what type of uh gear are you taking in yeah um it's been it's been fun in a way to think about this goat hunt in particular and kind of the the differences that that may necessitate from what is my normal gear um i've been in a place the last few years especially with most hunts where it's like, I just don't, I'm not changing much. Like I just, I have what I have and I've tested a lot of stuff over the years and I just know what I like and what works. Um, and so I've, it's a great place to be, right? Like yeah. on one hand, it's always fun to try new gear, but on the other hand, it's like, no, just knowing this works and it's dialed. I don't have to think about it. Like here's my gear list and go is great. Um, but yeah, I mean, different things like for the goat hunt in particular is just thinking through, you know, Southeast being somewhat coastal and higher precipitation, higher humidity. So going back to like over the last year, been picking up some synthetics again, uh, on the clothing side to test out because I've done a ton of Merino the last handful of years. And so considering things like that for a difference, um, the same thing for sleeping system, like considering synthetics for the kind of unique environment of the goat hunt, for example, um shelter's funny man like i was literally just talking uh yesterday with mark my goat guide we're both named mark <laughs> it's confusing actually i his middle name's henry and i didn't really ask him if it was okay but i call him henry now <laughs> nice. so i'll now refer to him as henry um so yeah i was like i had a call with henry yesterday and was still going over like all right i, I think here's what i'm thinking you know but um i'm gonna go up there like for shelter for example i'm gonna go up there with a couple options and just really look at the forecast and the plan like are we going out for seven days or are we going to go out for three to four days what's the weather looking like etc so i'll have options like a tarp and a bivy which i use a lot um down to a single man tent um you know in the country we'll be in it's just so it's so steep and can be hard to find uh good campsites right so like mm -hmm sometimes you're just picking that little spot. Sometimes you're digging out a spot to set up. It's like, okay, well you can set up a single man tent over there and 30 yards over here. We can get another single man tent. So just thinking through things like the overall size and footprint of your tent, um, in such steep country can be really important or maybe even overlooked by guys. Yeah, um, no, that's a huge so, yeah. one. The kind of the floor plan of whatever your shelter is. Cause a lot of guys want to take in like a, you know, big teepees have become real popular and like, you know, big, right. big floor plan systems. They can be super nice, but it's just, you know, especially in the mountains, you might be, you know, snuggling up between a boulder and a, you know, a sheep bed. You don't get a lot of, a lot of space to yep. work with all the time. So, yeah. So yeah, that's been something, um, like I said, moving some synthetic back to synthetics for some of the clothing for this hunt. Um, I'm still going up there with, uh, basically I'm tried and true with this quilt from catabatic gear that's <laughs> down. It is treated down. Um, you know, Mark encourages synthetic, sorry, Henry <laughs> encourages <laughs> synthetics. Um, and I'm just going to go up there with both options and probably make that my quilt, my primary. And then if we are out for several days, uh, but no, there's a potential that we're going to come out and like, okay, if I truly get wetted out and have to move to synthetic, I will, but Honestly, I just hate packing them. 
um, unless I have to. Um, and it sounds yeah, so like that's some that of the big quilt stuff on shelter. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I didn't yeah. mean to cut you off there. I was just saying, seems like that quilt, you know, you kind of would take that into war. That's a, a never leave behind item for you. <laughs> it seems like. Yeah, it hasn't, dude. Like I've used that year round. If people listen to our podcast, they're probably sick of me talking about it. But, um, I use that sucker year round. I mean, I've, it's a, it's rated 22 degrees, but they're temp ratings are conservative. And like with clothing, I've literally had it down in this thing, like two degrees, like single digits. And then, you know, I took it to our death hike and it wasn't even getting that cold, but being a quilt, it's super easy to ventilate. So stuff like that, I mean, is a perfect example of, I know it, I trust it. I've used it in so many conditions. And when you find gear like that, um, I think when I was younger, I would still chase like, Oh, what, what's new, what's better, what's out there. Right. And now I'm just more of the mindset of like, no, once I've used something that extensively, it's proven itself in so many different conditions. I'm like, done thinking about it right like i'm just going to use that thing if it you know if i have an issue if somebody steals it burns up in a fire i'm buying another one Um, (laughs) because literally the mental energy you spend kind of wasting time on stuff it's like i got other crap to worry about i could put that mental energy somewhere else other than you know kind of trying to find something better when what i have is already great like that's just one example of um Without a gear that falls in that category for me, especially when a new sleeping bag is the same as an elk tag nowadays. So it's no, like, dude, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no man, yeah, that's something uh, Sean's talked about a bit. Just because you know, like you said, you mentioned a lot on your uh, your podcast, and he's been leaning towards giving a quilt a, a go. And I was like, man, I mean, well, Mark Mark says it's a uh, bomb proof, so uh, <laughs> I think you just gotta go ahead and pull the trigger on it. <laughs> yeah, I will say, I mean. It's obviously, I think it gets overlooked, uh, is the importance of the sleeping pad, right? And that's oh, true yeah. for quilts, but it is still true for sleeping bags. Like you can have a great quilt or sleeping bag and maybe be cold or uncomfortable because your pad sucks. Um, it isn't the R value they say it is, for example. So, um, definitely that, like, that is a key component of your whole sleep system is the pad itself as well. Mm-hmm. No, that's something we try and talk a bit on here about, cause there's just a lot of misunderstandings with a lot of that stuff. I mean, you know, just the simple fact that, you know, a lot of people don't understand that, you know, sleeping bag, all it is, is a, a form of insulation. So like the simple idea of, you know, if you crawl in cold you're not gonna, you know, I'm pretty sure Aaron Snyder puts it. There's not little, uh, uh, Asians in there warming the bag up for you you know there's no there's no secret ingredient like you gotta you know you gotta be able to manage your own body heat and stuff like that or exactly if you're sleeping on a a $10 pad with a $800 sleeping bag like you're still gonna be cold because the ground's just gonna suck that heat right off your body and you know just understanding how to how to work with your system and that goes to the point of just knowing your system inside and out and you know not chasing that dragon whether it be you know that lightweight itch or just wanting to try out the newest latest and greatest but once you get that you know gear list tuned kind of to a you know fine working machine like stick with it because you know that's worth its weight in gold and just knowing and being comfortable with the gear you have and being able to use utilize it correctly yeah for sure and that just comes with time i mean that's why you know for guys who don't get the opportunity to go on multiple hunts a year it's like go backpacking, do something and don't just do it when it's nice. Like put yourself in those conditions. I don't care if you live in Iowa, right? Like that's not a glorious place to go backpacking by any means. Backpacking of corn sounds terrible, but um, <laughs> like get yourself in as many conditions as possible to figure out what 
what's either a strength or weakness in your system. And by system that could be gear, it could be mindset, it could be whatever. But um, that's one thing that is with higher dollar gear, especially is it doesn't like you can spend a lot of money on something, but have not made the right decision. Like just because it was expensive or just because it's good for a pursuit or a person doesn't mean it's right for what you need. And so I typically recommend guys like get experience and then spend some money. Right. So it's okay if you start with bad stuff. I mean, I getting away from like sleeping stuff, I equate it to like when I bought my very first bow, it was a $350 kit bow, like with the crappy quiver, crappy side, et cetera. But if I were to have gone into the bow shop and spent a grand on a flagship bow, I wouldn't even have known like what I wanted or what I was looking for. Cause I didn't have enough experience shooting. So it's not really till you get experience to know like this versus that, this is what I want. This is what I need now. When you're equipped with like knowledge and experience, then you can drop some coin, but you're doing that very intentionally because you know what you want and you know what you need. Exactly. You know, if you don't have, you don't know what's good until you know what's bad. So, you know, if you're, Mm -hmm. if you go out with a, you know, $800 sleep system, but you don't know how to, you know, set it up and keep it dry and, you know, regulate your body temperature, keep warmth in your bag. Like, you know, all of a sudden you get jaded and this piece of equipment that you just saved up all year to upgrade to, you know, you think is, you know, junk or you're just, you know, keeps you from wanting to go out in the back country or even, you know, to your local campsite just because, you know, you, you know, spent all this money, but you weren't adequately, you know, adept with the knowledge to use it correctly. And now it's just, you know, it snowballs and nobody wants to be, you know, turned away due to price, you know, times are tough. Money's not easy to come by and, you know, the hunting, hunting world's not a cheap hobby by any means. So no, no, definitely get out with what you got. And, you know, to your point of just using your stuff whenever, you know, just find a reason to use it. We all like to be comfortable and, you know, we've got a king size Tempur-Pedic mattress I sleep on. But when I get, you know, my new gear, like I was testing out a bivy, a new sleeping pad earlier this year, you know, my girlfriend came down with covid so i was staying in the garage and i have a mattress and box spring out there but i was like eh, you know good time to test out the bivy so you know just sleep on the concrete the bivy give it a go and you know just find a way to you know get those days in the field without having to you know take time off work or even if it's you know you're going camping with a group of friends for a weekend and it's like oh we're gonna bring the fifth wheel or something it's like okay but you know just pack your backpack and stuff you know hang out do all the fun stuff but just set up camp right there test some gear you know set up a tarp and a bivy you know if you've never used it before and you plan on taking it out this elk season or the sheep season like you know don't let your first time using your equipment be in the field because i promise you it won't work the way you think it will (laughs) if it's raining outside go set your tent and your sleep system just in the front yard exactly give it some use yeah yeah it's no fun to do it at the time but it's going to pay dividends in the long run because you know you don't want your first time setting up your tent to be at two in the morning in the pissing rain in the dark you Mm -hmm. know it's just never never works out quite the way you'd like (laughs) yeah and the like something we've talked about is the more you know your gear and the more confidence you have in it the more efficient you are with it like even everything from packing your pack right all of that that you can figure out ahead of time before the hunt just allows you to hunt more efficiently. So, I mean, I've been with guys who have a bunch of new gear and new stuff, or maybe they're new to backpacking. And it's like they spend three times the amount of time 
setting up camp, tearing down camp, et cetera. And it's like, you, I mean, it sounds silly, but quite literally you're wasting potential hunting time because you're not familiar enough with what you're doing with your stuff, which is fine when guys are new, but it's like, figure out, figure that out outside of the hunt. Right. So when you are mm-hmm. on the hunt, it's like everything from time to like your mental energy or attention, what you're thinking about is all dedicated to the hunt itself and not on like, Oh God, like, there's rain coming. I have no idea how to set up my shelter or whatever. Um, and now all of a sudden you're not even thinking about the hunt anymore. Exactly. You know, you can practice that stuff year round. You can't practice, you know, sneaking in on a bugling bull, you know, 10 months out of the year, you get a real small, you know, period of time. And most, you know, most of the individuals getting out, you know, like us, we're, you know, just blue collar guys. We get limited time off work and that time's precious. You know, you can't buy time and, you know, don't let something novel like, you know, setting up a, a tent ruin a hunt for you when, you know, you got all year to take care of that when, you know, when that moment comes and you got to be out of camp and get out, get in on a bull that's screaming, like take, take advantage of it, be prepared, you know, be ready to go. And that was kind of an ethos we used to, you know, live by in sports, you know, our college coach always just harps, you know, when you're on the field, you don't need, that's not the time to be trying to remember, you know, the routes for this, you know, this block of plays. Like it's, you know, you need to, once you're out there, everything needs to be second nature because then you can focus at the task at hand and be able to, you know, capitalize on that time in the field or whatever it is you're doing, or, you know, you're doing a, you want to do the AP or, you know, any of those through hikes, it doesn't have to be necessarily hunting, but like, if you don't know your gear, it's not going to, you know, you're just going to jade yourself or your, that hobby that you think you love all of a sudden becomes more of a nuisance than anything just due to negligence on your own part so that's stuff we can all take care of and you know just take the time and put the energy into the stuff you love because it'll pay dividends in the long run yeah and that can be little stuff like as you were saying that i realized i wouldn't even think about this but just last night like while we were watching the show after my kids went to bed i was practicing um basically on some of the shelters i have i have you know like automatic line locks where you can set the tension hold the tension but um, on one of the tarps I was maybe going to bring, I was going to take those off and just do my own like trucker's hitch where you can set tension and all that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's been, a, it's been a little bit since I've used those extensively and I knew in my head how to do them, but I literally in my living room last night grabbed two dumbbells and like set one up and I was simulating being able to set up a shelter and practice the knots in a trucker hitch without, you know, any hardware. Um, I was doing that in my living room while watching a TV show. So it wasn't like this grand, oh, I took this overnighter and tested all my gear. It was like, no, let me re-familiar, familiarize myself with rigging the shelter without hardware just by tying a trucker's hitch while I was watching a TV show. So it doesn't have to be something crazy, right? Exactly. You know, in between commercials, just do do something. That even goes to like a workout regimen. Do 10 push-ups in between commercials. You can always find a little bit of time and, you know, just exactly just boils down to be prepared when the time comes because, you know, you can't you can't undo that mistake when you're, you know, hunting at 11,000 foot or you're, you know, stocking in on a billy or something like that. Yeah. No, I wanted a couple last questions. I know uh, you've got a, you've got a busy schedule and don't want to eat up too much of your time, but uh, what are you taking in uh, weapon wise for this hunt? Are you uh, carrying a a rifle for this hunt? Yeah, I am. Um, I have a seven Psalm. So seven short action ultra mag that'll be taken. Um, It's uh, I built it a year 
year and a half, two years ago. Um, and I've changed a few things kind of on the setup, but I actually, I absolutely love the cartridge, um, crazy accurate rifle, essentially what a, one of a couple, changed a couple things in the build over the years, but I moved to a chassis earlier this year. Um, and part of that was inspired by previous experiences in Kodiak. I'm like, <laughs> gosh, I want the smallest, shortest rifle possible because of Kodiak. Um, and I also hunt with a suppressor. So that adds length. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I'm really happy with how it came out. I was just, again, shooting it this morning, uh, used it. I've used it on a few animals so far this year, hunting elk and deer or, uh, elk and bear actually. Um, but so yeah, taking that seven Psalm, um, uh, packing that it's, uh, it's just a tack driver. It's again, it's one of those things that, you know, perfect example of, I didn't start out with like a crazy high end rifle. I spent a lot of time with basic rifles, um, Tika and upgraded that over time. And then eventually once I knew what I wanted, that's when I took the jump to kind of like spec out, okay, here's exactly what I wanted on a more of a custom build. Right. So yeah, no, that's a good great. example on that end. Yeah, I was going to say that's a great example of where a lot of people get, you know, bows and rifles are one of those shiny things that everybody wants. A, mm-hmm. You know, everybody wants a gun works or a proof, you know, proof gun or something like that. And, yeah. uh, you know, you don't know what you don't know until you, you know, run a, a Ruger American for five seasons. <laughs> right? or, you know, something exactly, you know, or go go grab yeah. grandpa's 30 out six that, you know, kicks like a mule and weighs 12 pounds and pack that through Kodiak. Mm-hmm. And then once you know exactly. Yeah what you want because a lot of people you know they'll build a super tiny compact gun and then realize they've got a 16 inch barrel on a 28 nozzler and they're losing you know 400 you know feet per second because they don't have adequate barrel length to burn powder or something like that and then you're you know out eight grand for you know a really pretty paperweight or you know but right yeah but no that's funny like i have this super fancy custom high-end rifle and suppressor and chassis and all that stuff and then I've been like, go, I've gone through the gamut, like it, in my head and, and load development, figuring out what bullet I want to shoot for mountain goat. And what's so funny is I'm pretty set on shooting a partition. So I feel like I have this like <laughs> super rocket spaceship rifle. That's like crazy modern. It's like, yeah. And I'm going to shoot a partition. <laughs> Man, they, but they like, made the that design. Hunting goats in, yeah. Like the area will be hunting goats in. It's like, you just, the chances of there being a long shot are next to nothing. It's like so steep. It's like you're either in range or you're not. Um, and so most of the shots are 80 to 150 yards, maybe 200 would be a long shot. So it's like, it was a little bit tough for me to, to not get trapped in like chasing BCs and, and looking at, you know, wind drift at 600 yards is where my head wanted to go. But then I was like, no, in all reality, like I need to choose an optimal bullet for that, 80 to 150 yard shot bc doesn't matter at all it's all about terminal performance and you know there's several bullets that would fit the bill there but uh i i think i might go with partition so it was like a a weird combination of yeah super high end and then crazy old school bullet exactly space age with a little old school sledgehammer (laughs) driving it so kind of like it yeah, no, exactly. And that's, you know, that's a nice thing. You, you know, know the equipment. It's, it's capable to shoot, you know, something out at 1200 yards. But when, you know, 
you deal with the task at hand and if you know something that's going to drive deep and you know sit a billy down and keep it from jumping off a cliff you know that's the whole thing (laughs) exactly that's something you want need and be able to adapt with because a lot of people like to you know we all like to chase the latest greatest and you know space age technology but sometimes it's you know not what's called for the task at hand so (laughs) yeah it's a i don't make any like I don't want to tell someone else what they should and shouldn't do, but like the whole long range thing, I love, I love crazy accurate rifles. I love ringing steel at crazy long ranges. Um, the furthest shot I've had on a game animal was last fall and I did it and it was great. It was down in sight, one shot, no big deal. But it was also like, as cool as that was, I want to be close, right? Mm. Like it almost reinforced it in a way that I'm just, for me personally, I'm not the guy to like, some guys almost go out of their way to create a long shot opportunity. And for me, it's like, no, man, I still, and I I was way more into archery before I got into, I've been shooting a rifle my whole life, but before I got into like long range and, you know, crazy accurate rifles, I'd been bow hunting so much. And I still think that part of me just loves that appeal of getting as close as I can. Like the bull I shot the year before I, with a rifle was at 70 yards. And I was like, that was cooler than shooting one at, you know, over 500 to me. Exactly. It's cool to have that capability whenever, you know, you need to pull that skill out. But exactly. I mean, I come from the same boat. I just, you know, the reason I like to be in the woods is to interact with the landscape, interact with the animals. And it's just, you know, it's, it's fun to try and get as close as you can. And, you know, if I've got a shot at 250, I'm not gonna, you know, go out of my way to try and, you know, spook a game just to get in to 50 yards on it but exactly like you said there's a lot of individuals where they'll spot something like oh that's at 850 oh perfect you know i'll just lay down right here and you know whack it and we had a uh kind of a funny story with some hunters that came up to hunt kodiak with us uh shoot that might have been two years ago now but some awesome guys uh from down in arizona but they were accustomed to hunting coos deer at super long ranges and stuff and um you know shot a couple deer at you know 700 800 yards there kodiak and then they realized man well that takes about six hours to get to after uh, you know <laughs> pull the trigger there. like you know we're never gonna yeah. do that again you know? <laughs> like, yeah for sure yeah, yeah. I, the bucks i shot this year in kodiak one was it 300 and one was at 30 um and then my prior trips like at least in the areas we've been hunting it seems like common shot opportunities are right around like two to 250 um again limited experience but we definitely have uh, i've been there twice but we've always had like i mean in my two trips i've either personally been there or had the direct stories of gosh in two trips we've probably killed i mean at least 20 deer um, just cause we've had kind of group trips and a bunch of guys filling tags, but, um, yeah, Kodiak's a, a fun place to like experience that. And definitely is, um, something where you, you really realize the importance of being able to shoot from positions. Um, oh, yeah. you know, there's the no prone of, shots on Kodiak. Dude, there's, <laughs> yeah. There's good luck. Um, no prone shots. Like I, on a whim, uh before kodiak is when i picked up the wiser precision quick sticks which turn your trekking poles into like shooting sticks mm-hmm. um i got those on a whim right before the trip my very first trip and it's like dude those were such a lifesaver because <laughs> i took every uh i think i've taken every buck but one on kodiak with those uh either sitting or kneeling and then uh multiple animals in other situations since so um yeah you definitely realize like the importance of shooting from different positions. Like if you haven't 
done that much, you will do that on Kodiak for sure. Yeah, no, it's a, it's one of those trips that teaches you a lot of stuff that, you know, you can overlook in different hunting situations and just, you know, you get combination of, you know, you can still hunt while still, you know, being able to spot and stock later in the afternoon, stuff like exactly yeah. different shooting positions. You almost need like the classic African PH, uh, three-legged yeah. standing shooting sticks mm-hmm. in a lot of situations and, you know, being able to n- navigate the terrain well, being able to pick a line and follow it because if you don't, you'll just be going through bands and bands of alder thicket which uh is the worst (laughs) yeah people trying to come and pick lines right off the bat like all right well i have this plan to my onyx and that plan's not going to work out once you hit the beach you're going to hit the beach (laughs) and see the trees growing up you're like i'm not going to go through that exactly the way you pick your line you look at the mountain and you stay away from the brown that is that's how you hunt (laughs) (laughs) you learn that quick (laughs) exactly oh Man, well, um, it's been an absolute pleasure sitting and chatting with you. Um, like I said, I know you're busy and I'll let you get out of here, but man, it's been a pleasure. You're always welcome back. Um, like I said at the beginning to all the listeners, go check out their podcast, Hunt Backcountry Podcast. Uh, they've been doing it for years. They've got it down to a science, man. They're awesome. They're right now in the middle of doing an awesome uh, reverse engineering elk hunting right now, or reverse engineering success. success and yeah. uh, man, they they cover a lot of great content, kind of like us, uh, like to get into the weeds of gear uh, quite a bit. And they just, you know, give a great great representative uh example of what it is to be kind of a you know hardcore outdoorsman but you know we you know we all like to shoot tasty spikes so you know give a good uh <laughs> uh you know good representative of what a you know kind of average individual can expect in the backcountry but still getting out there and doing some real crazy adventures and they do a great job of you know answering all their listener questions definitely check out all their gear over there at exo as you've heard from this conversation you know mark steve and their team over there they're going to take care of you awesome people and they make great great stuff we definitely uh uh, stand by that. We've gotten, I get to handle a lot of it with our clients that come on the boat. Sam just got herself her own pack. Uh, unfortunately, I got talked out of a pack by my guide uh, this year <laughs> just because uh, he was a, a Barney's external frame guy. So, uh, going to get to test that. Uh, I'm so surprised. <laughs> You're right. Exactly. Barney's pack. Shocked. Right. But, yeah. uh, no, they're, they're great packs for what they are, for sure. Oh, yeah. No, but I was definitely trying to talk him into, I wanted, to get one of your guys's packs for the season to try it out and he was like well i've just about tried all the internal style packs he's like you, you, i want you in one of these like, ah that's fair you're the boss ah. i'm gonna <laughs> exactly you yeah. know but that's definitely on the bucket list so man uh well uh let the listeners know anywhere else they can uh find you guys um and kind of any call to action you got for them uh yeah man i mean the website's just exomountaingear.com uh you can do mtn for mountain uh, so E-X-O-M-T-N gear.com. Um, yeah, the only thing I would say on that is like, even if you're not interested in packs, we do have some cool resources on the website uh, that we give away for free. Everything from like a uh, backcountry hunting training plan for fitness to a nutrition guide to help you plan like your food strategy for meals and for, for, per, <laughs> for performance. Um, uh, my gear list is posted up there and it's kind of like a, there's a, it's a template, so I don't share it to say, like, here's just what I use, but, like, to put an example gear list out there, that's a spreadsheet, so you can actually take my stuff out, plug your stuff in, and it'll calculate your pack weight and all that stuff. So there's just some cool stuff to check out even if you're not interested in packs. 
Yeah, no, and I I can speak from experience. When I was going through my gear list, I pulled up their uh, gear list spreadsheet. Like you said, awesome free resources there. And, man, we've always been uh, big fans of you guys over there and uh, have harped to our listeners that, man, if they need just some good quality content or just uh, some entertainment, you guys will take care of them. Um, cool. So, no, it's been a pleasure. We'll definitely, hopefully, get you some pictures here soon with a, a nice caribou or a couple sitting in an XO uh, frame here in a month or so. So, uh, nice. would love to love to hear about your goat hunt when you're done. We'll definitely uh, stay in touch. And if you ever need anything when y'all are up in uh, our neck of the woods, feel free to reach out. We'll do whatever we can for you guys. I appreciate it, guys. It was fun. Yep. Have a good one. Enjoy the rest of your day. Oh, man, that was a good one. Was excited. Cool Exci- exactly. I've been excited to get them on ever since we had old Jakey Poo on. I was like, ah, oh, we got to get Mark or Steve on too, especially after I, uh, you know, went ahead and deleted all the quality content uh, Jake put up. Uh, <laughs> Jake gave us. So, no. But, man, wanted to give a huge shout out to those guys. Like, I just got done freaking, you know, blabbering on about. Truly, you know, they have some great content. They've been doing their podcast for five or six years now. Um, you know, give a great example of, you know, average Joe stuff. They, you know, talk at a 30,000 foot view and then a 10 foot view on stuff, real technical and real basic at the same time. It's a great listen for anybody. Definitely go give them a five star review and a review. Uh, man, it'd go tons for them. And they've got great, great gear. And just go check it out. You know, they're, they're expensive like anything is nowadays, but they stand by their product and they're going to take care of you. Well worth it. I got my hands on Samantha's pack a couple of days ago, and it is truly quality. You know, I tried to put as much stuff as I could into that <laughs> pack, and it'll take it. That's for sure. I guess she got the 4,800, right? Yep. Yeah. No, that's a good size pack, especially for like a, you know, seven, 10 day trip. As long as you got your gear dialed down, you can fit that easy. You know, food's always the freaking issue, anyways. So <laughs> you eat it as you go. <laughs> exactly. Strap it to the outside. Uh-huh. <laughs> if you're fatty like me, just keep strapping <laughs> in places. Oh, man. Well, I uh, wanted to go over a couple uh, kind of house cleaning stuff because uh, we are getting real close to hunting season. Um, like I mentioned in the podcast, I will be heading out here in, uh, I believe, six days, five, six days. Uh, so unfortunately, you guys won't get to hear my beautiful voice anymore until uh, I get back. So Mr. Sean and most likely the awesome, the wonderful Miss Sam Jacobson will be taking over the show, keeping y'all in the know on all the fun stuff. They're going to have tons of cool adventures coming up so it's gonna be uh gonna be exciting yeah i'm I'm stoked we're so close to the season a lot of ground to cover yeah i mean we just got another sweet package of equipment sitting in a box uh right to sean's right uh he's been waiting to get in so we're probably gonna uh as soon as we end this recording probably break into that and start uh, playing christmas again like always (laughs) of christmas (laughs) our addiction continues to grow but uh no so that's that's about it for you know things we got to got to touch on we just you know we're going to be i'm going to be working on a kind of a season or season series of the sheep season while i'm out in the field so excited to get that to you guys when i get back but man it's going to get a little squirrely with stuff we're going to try and keep you know giving you episodes every week but i mean y'all are going to be in adac for a while y'all have got moose season y'all have got a bunch of stuff going on so you know bear with us if we uh you know miss a week or we're late on a couple days you know it's busy time of the year this is this is what we wait all year for so lots of content 
Exactly. Lots of content. So stuff will still be rolling. It might not be on your, you know, normal, regular schedule. I understand. That's inconvenient. I hate it when my podcasts don't show up on the days they're supposed to. Uh, So I get it. I understand. But, you know, that's, you know, (laughs) unfortunately, we can't sacrifice our hunting season yet until y'all start sending in tens of thousands of dollars to hit up our uh, Patreon. Exactly. Hit up our Patreon. Uh, No. No, but man, we're super excited. It's you know, it's go time. We've got a lot of opportunity this fall. That's for sure. Heck yeah, I'm so tired I'm of looking stoked. at fish. I need to I need oh, some I'm red meat. So tired of fishing. <laughs> I love fishing. I love fishing so much, but I am so very tired of not fishing for fun <laughs> or fishing for food. <laughs> we're dip netting. <laughs> it's like fishing, just not as fun. Yo. Oh goodness. But man, let us know what you guys are doing this fall. Right in. Give us a you know. Keep us updated. Give us our your success stories, your not success stories, your blunders, your bloopers, whatever you want, man. Hopefully, uh, you know, going to work on getting some uh, kind of a storytelling series going after this season, getting a bunch of people on talking about, you know, success, failures, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Hopefully a lot of ugly. That's always the fun. The ugly is the best part. <laughs> exactly. Hopefully some brown britches or something like that to, you know, toss in the mix. Getting so. beat down all season. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. I'll definitely have my fair share of, uh, you know, war stories back, coming back from sheep season. Your boy's going to have feet that look like Shrek's and knees that feel like my grandfather's. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But anything else you want to talk on before we head off to work? That's probably all I got. Yeah. You got work today. Yeah, you freaking, I forget. You You got the man. three-day weekends every Wee! weekend, baby. Four <laughs> Oh, man. Well, thank you guys for tuning in for another episode. Uh, like always, please uh, give us a little rating review. Helps us out a ton. Plus, we like to know what y'all think about it. You know, shoot us a message personally. We enjoy it. We enjoy interacting with each and every one of y'all. It's fun watching, you know, this community slowly grow. And it's cool, you know, steadily adding countries to the list. I think we're closing in on... Uh, uh, I think 32, 33 different countries listening out there. So big shout out to all of our international fans. We really enjoy y'all. You know, our Aussie base is steadily growing. Love to see all the Aussies out there doing their thing. Man, they're, they're, they're I think they're rolling into their waterfowl season right now. I know they're, because they're all backwards butt because they're on the other side of the world. So they're, all their ruts in the spring and stuff, hmm. from my understanding. So... I don't know what y'all are up to. Let us know. Right in. So we, we're almost rolling in our waterfowl season. Comes September, September one. I believe it opens for us. Yeah, yeah. I have no clue what y'all seasons are all squirrely. I know y'all's roars in the spring, so all y'all's <laughs> ruts are you know opposite. So maybe that's when we just start doing. We just need to start taking New Zealand vacations or something. I'm not against it. <laughs> totally not against it. Cool. Well, man, thank you guys. Y'all are awesome. We do it for y'all. We're gonna keep giving y'all the quality content. Hopefully, keep bringing y'all awesome guests like Mark. And, you know, stand behind people that, you know, we believe in, the products we believe in. We're not just going to fill you up with a bunch of hoopla to fill up episodes, you know. We're not just going to have any Joe Blows on. We want, you know, people that we believe are making a difference in the industry, making quality content. And that's exactly what we believe in with EXO. Y'all have heard it since the beginning of this podcast. They're one of the, you know, three packs that I recommend are always, you know, a Barney's, a Kafaru, or an Exo. That's, you know, hard to get away from them. So. I saw him come up on the Zoom screen, and I started fanboying for a minute. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, exactly. No, great guys. And, you know, might get Steve on one of these days. He's a little grouchier. I hope Steve listens to this. Hi, Steve. Um, no. <laughs> no. But shoot, send us out of here, Sean. Stay fresh, stay frosty, and get after it. Hell yeah. Stay average, boys. Girls. Girls. <laughs>